What's it going to take to turn you on? What's it going to take to convince you that BloomFarmCBD.com is the place to go for top quality CBD vape and tincture products? I mean, it's been five episodes already, and here I am still waving the Bloom Farms flag. Say that three times fast. And nope, my uncle don't own the company. My uncle owns a box company, just in case you're interested. So Bloom Farms and I have no connection, besides mutual admiration for what we do. I'm talking about a fully organic, beautifully designed, hemp-derived CBD product that provides relaxation and relief, that promotes creativity. These ads, for instance. And that's run by folks who care about what you put into your body during these crazy, anxiety-filled times. Bloom Farm CBD separates themselves from the pack with not just quality product, but with a social mission, too, by donating a meal to someone in need every time you make a purchase. We're talking a million and a half meals and counting thanks to their amazing one-for-one program. Here's that little nudge you need to seal the deal. 20% off your purchase at bloomfarmcbd.com when you enter the code BALDFREAK at checkout. That's right, Ronald's gift to you. Bloomfarmscbd.com. Pick up some tincture, some vape pens, and delicious flavors like stone fruit and sequoia mint. Mmm. And don't forget, enter that code BALDFREAK at checkout for your 20% off. Bloom Farms CBD. Are you turned on yet? I am. You should never meet your heroes. It's an old adage, not attributed to anyone in particular. You should never meet your heroes. You're going to be let down. Either they're not as nice as you think they are, or they're not as impressive as they seem. Now, I'm sure that's not sage advice 100% of the time. But when I set up interviews for this podcast, my major motivation has often been exactly the opposite. I want to meet my heroes. I've had my come to Jesus moment about the podcast. I want my photo. I want my handshake. I want to ask all the questions. I've done over 100 interviews over the past seven years. I've met plenty of rock stars and TV stars in and out of the hallways of Z100 and iHeartRadio. And so far, no one has been a douche. In some cases, even there've been pleasant surprises Shaggy was awesome. Jimmy Fallon was a treat. Dave Matthews was as friendly as they come. He walked up to me, some nobody in the hallway, and said, Hey, hey man, I'm Dave. Weird Al Yankovic f***ing hugged me. So part of me is waiting, you know? Waiting for that pioneer of disappointment. The dam's got to break eventually, right? And I've heard stories from fellow musicians, from radio people, of close encounters of the shitty kind. So when I get to talk to a guy like John Baisley of Baroness... There's that itty-bitty, widow-itty-bitty part of my brain, the anxious part, the cynical part, that's screaming, don't do it. Because I really admire John Baisley. I consider him a hero. From afar, John Baisley seems otherworldly. An expert craftsman, a true artist. Not just with a guitar, but with paint and pencils, too. In a recording studio, in front of a microphone, John Baisley is always in it. The founding member of Grammy-nominated Georgia-based hard rock band Baroness is the poster boy for evolution. And no, he's not a monkey. He's a dude that's been through some serious shit. Specifically, a 2012 bus accident while on tour in the UK that left him with a fractured arm and leg, and eventually a fractured band. John's misfortune sinks simultaneously with my own misadventures. A bad breakup, a hurricane, a destroyed record label. And it was the music of Baroness, among many others, that helped save me from drowning. I hadn't broken any bones, it was my spirit that was shattered. So I was excited at the chance to tell John Baisley that he played his part in my own renaissance. 
because John recovered from his injuries and he's since made incredible albums. Long, sprawling, epic albums that defy logic and length in a short attention span era, including the band's latest, Gold and Gray. And the sound of the band has evolved too, incorporating more acoustic and melodic elements, more pensive moments in between all the prog metally mayhem. None of it sounds forced, most of it sounds pure. John Baisley is a musician the rest of us should aspire to be like if we dare to attain that level of greatness. Observing John at work, my own flaws become obvious. I'm just not that dedicated. If I sit too long in front of the piano or in front of a computer, I get bored, I get frustrated. Meanwhile, John Baisley is trying to outdo his last piece of art. He's meticulous and driven in a way that complements his already immense talent as a songwriter and an illustrator. So yeah, I wanted to meet John Baisley and cull some wisdom for episode 104 of the Independent Minded Podcast. A man whose eloquence is intimidating, spouting truths not just about composition and creativity, but about meeting the expectations of his audience and of his own ego. John Baisley pontificating like a bald Buddha. And towards the end of our talk, John goes out of his way to credit his team for the success of Baroness, his bandmates, his crew, his PR people. He insists he wouldn't be where he is without them, sitting on a bus parked outside Baltimore Soundstage while this guy sticks a microphone in his face. <laughs> Dreams do come true. <laughs> and when this part of the journey ends, John shakes my hand and thanks me. Then he takes a selfie of us outside his tour bus before lighting up a cigarette. A young woman intercepts him and asks for a selfie of her own. And of course, John Baisley obliges. Then he climbs the stairs back into the bus and prepares to rock your world. You should never meet your heroes. <laughs> Hogwash. Now more than ever, we need as many heroes as we can get. John and I talk about cut-off t-shirts, critical acclaim, giving the fans their money's worth, and why he's not comfortable with having his signature on your arm. Kicking things off with Throw Me an Anchor from Baroness's latest Gold and Gray, then my conversation with John Baisley, right here on Independent Minded. It's Ronnie Scalzo's amazing podcast. It's Ronnie Scalzo's amazing podcast. He's talking to people who make all the music. He's plugging their projects. He's making them famous. He's helping them out just by making them talk about all the cool shit that they do.
I'm in the tour bus with someone I look up to. Literally, you're, you're certainly uh, taller than me. Uh, John Dyer Baisley of Baroness. This is an exciting moment for me. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well today. I feel like if I would have drank more milk, I could have been you. We're, we're, we're both bald. Your beard makes my beard look like a mustache. And one thing I've noticed, and I want, I definitely want to talk to you about, is like you are the king of the cutoff t-shirt. That's kind of your uniform. Yeah. Are those like pre-made cutoff t-shirts, or no, no, do you no. cut the sleeves off? I, I, cu I cut the sleeves off. Okay. Because yeah. yeah. my girlfriend gives me shit. Like, I have, like, my old metal T-shirts, like Metallica, Mr. Bungle, Nine Inch Nails, stuff that I bought when I was in high school and college, when I was actually going to the shows. They've gotten ratty over the years, as sure. you can imagine. But I want to hold on to them. So what made you make that fashion choice at some point? Is that just, uh, how did <laughs> that evolve? It's a darker answer than you, th than you think <laughs> oh, it's Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I was... It was pretty well publicized, uh, but I was in a, a very significant and an ex extremely huge accident in 2012. This I know about. And uh, the major uh, injury that I sustained was to my left arm, which has left me with the type of chronic pain that is insistent, consistent. Uh, it's a 24-7, 365 thing for me. So honestly, the initial impetus behind cutting off the sleeves was uh, just because it's more comfortable for me to navigate the environment of the world without without a sleeve on it's just it's just like a, you know it seems like a, a minor thing it's it's like two percent more comfortable for than having fabric over you know several spots on my arm that give me you know a, a great deal of pain but uh, it's also you know it's also something I did when I was a kid. I cut all I cut sleeves off of my shirts. Um, okay, good. So I, then I, it just it just kind of <laughs> stuck. It did just kind of stick. Yeah, I mean it was like okay, well I like this. This is fine. You know. No, you forward. rock the look. I, I was just curious about that because I get shit from my girlfriend all the time about <laughs> my Yoshi T-shirt. You know yeah. my my Nintendo Yoshi T-shirt that has uh, the cut off sleeves on it. My history with Baroness. I ran a record label out of my house on Staten Island. And I had a couple of like metal kids who eventually the label got big enough where I had to hire people to come help me out. Sure. And these kids obviously had a pedigree and, and were fans of my music. And they would also turn me on to new bands. And this young kid, his name is DJ Scully, turned me on to the Blue Album. Oh, right on. I've been a fan ever since. I found out about the accident. That happened right around the time where I was going through my own shit at my house and my record label got destroyed by a hurricane probably about two or three months after your accident. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Superstorm Sandy wiped yeah, out was, all three music. That was music. a couple, couple months after. My house was literally destroyed. I was bouncing from apartment to apartment, felt like a bit of a vagabond for a while. That's kind of when Yellow and Green came out. I wound up in an apartment in Brooklyn. It's really where I started to get my shit back together. And that album was kind of the soundtrack to my runs and my workouts. The song Eula in particular... I ran the marathon, the New York City Marathon, the following year. Oh, that's amazing. That was on my marathon mix at a very crucial time in the mix. Like a music nerd that I am, I mapped it out from beginning to yeah, end. Yeah, you've got to. Uh, by the time I was at about the three and a half, four hour mark, I believe it was between the very cliched Gonna Fly Now from the Rocky soundtrack uh -huh. and um, Frank Zappa's Muffin Man <laughs> <Okay>. that Eula <laughs> showed up on the playlist. It's the sort of song that makes you want to like dig a little deeper, you know, when it comes to yeah, I think I stuff think so. Like that. Yeah, that's honestly one of my favorite songs. It's had a similar effect on me, though, from you know, clearly from a different perspective or a different standpoint. But to hear stories like that, and to understand that those moments have existed, those moments which happen independently of me, I don't have, you know, I'm not around for them. I don't, I don't know all of them. I hear some of them. I didn't see you with the marathon. Right. Exactly. But to but just just to think that 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 they're happening and that that I played some part in that even 
you know, a, a minor role, you know, as, as I see it, but to have taken part in those moments in other people's lives in the way that my favorite artists have in mind, you know, I think it, that can be, it's overwhelming. It's, it's, you know, I think, it, I think, it, I really think it is beautiful. I really, you know, it, it has given me the, the head of steam that I need occasionally to push forward even further and to continue playing music, uh, you know, in this band. Um, so, I, you know, I have come to an understanding that the, these situations do arise from our music. I think for about the first half of the band, I, there was, I don't want to say it was false humility, but, but I was, I would always shrug off things like that because I, I kind of didn't want to hear other people's opinions about what made our band special because I thought that, you know, we were special in a way to me that I didn't, you know, I didn't need outside input for, but I can't really think of another word other than inspiring to think back in more recent years about the way that sharing experiences with people and hearing the reflected experience of, you know, hundreds or thousands of fans um, has given me a little bit more clarity and a, little, and, and, a, and a greater depth, you know, at just what Baroness is. And, you know, I think sometimes we as artists, we do need to take stock and we do need to think about what we do, why, we, you know, why we do it, what are, what, are our, what are our reasons, what are our goals, what are our ambitions. And while I would never set the ambition to change people's lives, that's not, I don't think that's <laughs> something I'm going for specifically. The fact that it's happening is, as I said, it is like one of the largest gusts of wind in our proverbial sails that, that we can get. The first few times I was realizing that, it was surprising because I never thought we were capable of that. I, I, I definitely undervalued what we were doing and the, you know, the scope and the reach that we would have over the years. Uh, so it's, you know, now, now that I've come to realize that and come to accept that in a way, you know, kind of accept that we maybe we've grown or we've we're a bigger band than we used to. I think that's one of one of those features of this band that, that you know that's really just stuck out to me, and is something that allows me to approach my profession as a musician and as, as an artist with a little bit more confidence and a little bit more a greater sense of drive because I don't want to end up an entertainer. I don't want to paint myself into a corner where you know the service that I provide for for an audience is is just is purely entertainment. It's just uh, it's just you know come out have a good time. That's not what I seek when I go out, you know. And so as the person who's written the majority of this music and who's who's been in this band or you know for such a long time, I I still have moments where I have to, you know, have to justify what we do because there's an element of of it that is certainly entertaining. Uh, of and there's an element of it that's, that is certainly, you know, an opportunity for myself and my bandmates to present what we're doing as art. But it's not purely one or the other. I think it, I don't think that Baroness would hold up under the scrutiny of pure art or pure entertainment. I think, and I don't, I don't think many things do. I think that the artistic experiences, the movies, the books, the music, the you name it, that moves us has its own type of balance, you know, it's, you've got to draw people in with the superficial stuff, with the, the fun guitar moments and the, in, you know, the bright colors and the, you know, the energetic stage performance, but you also have to give them something more. That's the work at this point, is that people expect us to, you know, play pretty well. They expect, you know, the show to go smoothly, you know, to a certain extent. I'd say but, that those are my expectations for yeah. the evening. So the, exactly. Like let's let's set the bar nice and low. Like those are the that's the bare, I mean I've never seen Baroness before, so minimum. so I don't have any basis of comparison, but I, you know, I've seen live videos and I'm certainly been a long time fan, so I expect like a rip roaring show tonight and I'm sure that's right. what's gonna happen. No but, pressure. But no no it but the pressure is the pressure is I would love 
to think that everybody walks out of a venue and says, you know, if the tickets, let's just say it's $25 or something for the ticket, and they say, okay, well, I got $30 worth of what I wanted. You know, I'd like, I'd like to think that we give as much as we possibly can on any given night, you know. Changing people's lives is a lofty goal, but speaking to my own experience, that moment, the Yellow and Green album, was when I went from kind of casual fan to pretty hardcore fan, followed you, you know, through the Purple album to the current album, Golden Gray. I saw online, like, someone had tattooed a line from that song, Eula, oh, yeah, like, on, sure. the, on her back. Right. Does that, like, blow your mind? Is there stuff that just kind of crosses the line uh, of fandom? Of course there is a line, and of course because there's a line, by virtue of the fact that there is a line, then, some, you know, somebody's got to be the one to cross it, right? I have come in contact with people who are looking for something that's, I think, a little bit more than, you know, typical and more than we, you know, than we are as a band are, are willing to give. But then there are smaller sort of like lighter circumstances where people hand me a Sharpie and say, you know, sign my arm. And I'm like, no, <laughs> because I got a messy signature and I know I know exactly how this goes. Like I'm not it's not you're not pulling a fast one on me. You don't want to just just want a signature on you. you, you, you there's a chance. You're gonna tat it. You're gonna tattoo yeah. that, yeah. and that's not something that I'm comfortable. I'm not comfortable right. with you okay, having my what, my what? signature on your arm. <laughs> where do you where do you set that bar? John? But as far yeah, but as far but as far as people getting you know the artwork tattooed, like look, that's up to you. Like that's I'm always just like sh sure, just save your money, spend it on a, you know somebody who's very skilled because my artwork isn't designed for that medium, and I've seen you know I've seen some bad ones, I've also seen some good ones. So I think it I think you know I'm always like you know just. It's making a leap it's a new in level. media that, <laughs> that, that I haven't intended. You know what I mean? Fair enough. Fair so enough. find somebody good <laughs> and give them a lot of money so that they do a very good job and take it really seriously so you don't end up with something that looks like garbage All after right. five years. And, <laughs> you know, and then I'm always like, well, send me a picture. I want to see it, you know. And I don't have a great-looking signature. If I had a great-looking signature, it'd be, maybe it'd be a different story. You know, what's a great-looking signature? I don't know. Look at, <laughs> look at the Constitution. They, they all had nice signatures. That's true. John Hancock kind of yeah. sets the bar. One thing besides the haircut that we both have in common is um, we're both musical sponges. This is something that I always deal with, and I'm certainly not nearly as prolific as you are. I'm, I'm about to release some new music for the first time in a couple of years, and when I'm in my own music, I'm in my own music. Right. Do you find that being the sponge? interferes with the process of being the musician i don't think listening disrupts the workflow at all i think maybe dissecting has the potential to do so i find myself now in, in a band with three other musicians who know a great deal more about music theory than earlier iterations of the band and that's you know i think i think that we're all all four of us are very careful about the depth of that knowledge and how that may prevent us from making certain decisions that a more foolhardy, less intellectualized musician would make uh, or, or an earlier version of the band would have made. Because, you know, when, when Baroness started, we were, we were making fairly sophisticated musical moves here and there. We didn't know it at all. We were just, you know, like, well, that's the, how the riff goes. And that's so that's how the drums go. Letting the wind blow on us. Right. Song. So you end up writing songs and, you know, strange time signatures. But she don't we didn't really talk about what they meant or what the, you know, the interrelationships and different notes and intervals. And now I have a much greater understanding of that. And I find that it doesn't it doesn't help me do anything other than dissect my own music. It doesn't help me at the time when I'm trying to write, with the exception of, you know, occasionally, you know, having a, a broader understanding of the two instruments that I favor, my voice and my guitar. 
using some of the newer skills that I've developed over the years gives me more options when I've got an idea to work with. But regarding listening music, I think it's I think it's foolhardy to stop listening. I, th- I you know I know I know, I know tons of musicians who who really curb the amount of music they they intake, uh, and I, it seems mostly because people get jaded or you've heard too much and Not me. it can be it can be wearisome and but let's admit it, i mean if you listen to, if you listen to music all day long every day all day long every day and you play it and it's really loud like yeah sometimes your ears want to break you know sometimes i just want to listen to people talk not so i'll listen to audiobook or you know just listen to tv rather than music because my ears are a little worn i take recommendations i write down any, you know any musical artist that i've never heard of i look into it when i've got free time uh, which, you know, currently is like, ne- I have next to no free time, but when I do, you know, I think it's, it's always worth the effort to try to dig in and, and listen to something and give it like a full, give it, to give things a full listen, to really pay attention. But, to, you know, the, you know, I am a musician, so I'm in musical environments constantly. So there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff going on around me right. pretty frequently to absorb and that stuff we absorb whether or not we know it, it does get reflected in the music that we play and the way that we play. I feel like a lot of music that's more challenging and maybe in the genre that we both live in deserves multiple listens before people kind of get it. And in today's day and age, with everything being as accessible as it is, I feel like a lot of casual music fans, and even more so than casual music fans, don't give music the attention that it deserves because they'll listen to a song once or they'll listen to half a song and be like, ah, this isn't my thing. Let me move on to the next thing. But I struggle with that because I don't know that if somebody doesn't listen to more than half your song, I don't know that your song deserves that person to listen to it. All right, that's I think a that's refreshing the ar- way to look I at it. I think that's the <laughs> argument. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying you're right and I'm wrong or, or I'm right and you're wrong. I'm saying that the burden is on the listener and the burden is on the musician. I can't think of a single moment in my life where we're not looking back five years ago and saying things were a little easier then, or the oh how oh my goodness how it's changed, you know, low these past ten years and now people listen different. Well, they do, of course, they, people listen and 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 discover things in a different way, but that doesn't mean my way, the old way is better. That means that the new way is better because in music, people tend to adopt the easiest system by which they can get what they want, and that continually places the burden of quality on the shoulders of the artist so i have a greater duty now to create something that captures the attention of the listener and doesn't give them any reason to turn away because there are more people listening now there are more ways to listen it it is it is easier it's easier to tune in and it's also easier to tune away my idea with the most recent record was that we embrace the fact that people listen to, you know, are likely to listen to a playlist of diverse sounding music. We embrace the fact that people want that variety. And we simultaneously embrace the fact that we consider ourselves a band that writes an album that needs to be listened to as a piece. So we'll just make music as if it was a playlist. In a way, it was just, it was just an excuse to free ourselves up and not feel beholden to any one particular avenue or sound on the record and and it just it really just allowed us to to say you know fuck it whatever you know whatever we want to do is what we're going to do metal and hard rock are not exactly genres that have been absorbed and embraced by the mainstream you know you're a punk rock guy from rural virginia and you've been nominated for a grammy your albums get great reviews does that matter to you well i mean it's 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 nice when it happens for sure you know it's it's a whole lot better when the press 
appreciates what you do than when they don't. Do you read reviews? I don't mind reading a review because it's quick and it's somebody's opinion. And I, and I genuinely, you know, I'm genuinely interested in what people think because I know it doesn't sway me. It doesn't sway me in what, I, what I'm after, what I'm going after. Uh, I don't read articles ever because I just don't need to know what about I've said. Yourself? I, do, I do not need to know more about myself. Um, but if part of the question has to do with whether or not we pay attention and care and does that influence anything that, you know, any of the decisions that we make or any of the moves that we make or any of the music that we write. No, it doesn't. We do not write music for the press. We don't even really write music for our fans. We write music for ourselves. We write the music that we want to hear. We write the music that nobody else has written yet. And we wish that somebody has because it's very difficult music that we write sometimes. It can offer a nice little endorphin rush, though, when somebody positively review you know when somebody pats you on the back you feel better of course i don't presume for a minute that that's enough to sustain my artistic career so i'm very realistic about you know yes i do enjoy when somebody likes a record but i know that that doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to buy it and that that's going to you know support the band so that's just one step in a much larger process which ultimately you know culminates in uh, a live performance where you know we really get to test our own metal against a several hundred to multiple thousand person bullshit detector that's right in front of us and willing to tell us when we're doing things right and when we're not. Art is a passion for you. You're renowned in the industry. You've done all the artwork for your own albums. You've done artwork for other metal bands. One theme that I've noticed with this new record coming out is that you're closing the circle on all the color-themed albums. The idea that we adhered to any concept at all for six records is is mysterious in a way to me because we didn't take we didn't take we weren't ever so long sighted that we saw a six album cycle that we could achieve. The proof is in the pudding. There, like this is the seventh version of this band that's existed. So right. the only person that was ever aware of it from its you know from its inception onwards been me. And while we have absolutely one hundred percent use those as themes for our albums they're not very direct themes you know they're they're open to interpretation they're open to symbolic misuse and you know metaphoric misuse and you know you can do what you want with them when you want and then ignore it simultaneously more exciting to me than anything else is the fact that with our next record we we sort of we're back in a position where we have a choice again we could do the exact same i mean we could just come out and just you know put out uh, I don't know, taupe, salmon, <laughs> burgundy. I don't. Well, that's matter. what I was going to ask. We could, do, mean, we could do that. I mean, we could, we could do that. And, I, and, it, and you know, I don't. I, I'm sure some people would be sort of let down based on what I've, everything that I've said. But um, we also don't have to. We can use any of the pre-existing framework or abandon it all. No matter what, we feel like we've got a lot of territory yet yet uncovered. Uh, and we're excited about whatever happens next, but we have no idea what that is. And we just know that we don't have to, we have no rules and no uh, strictures that, it, that will apply to the next one. You sound like the type of guy, and I admire this about you, you know, the music aside, you march to the beat of your own drum and you kind of just let your own feelings about your art drive the car, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a gut thing. I mean, playing, we're talking about music, you know, there's, there's guts involved. That's really the cornerstone of any great band is you know, that's sort of intangible, indefinable thing. Like, I don't know, why why the Rolling Stones? Why the Beatles? Why Zeppelin? You know, they weren't the only bands with amplifiers and guitars. 
so why them well you got to think it has something to do with the attitude and the and the style and the delivery and in all of that i think it all boils down to like you know something personal something something about your character about about your soul about you know about your guts whatever however you want to put it everybody says it a different way the aspect of being a band that that requires you have keen instincts with regards to your music i think is a very important one so we just when it feels like we got to write a song we write a song Eventually, we get to a point where we have nothing else to do, and then it's then it's self-evident. But you know, in the interim, right now we're putting the dust off of these new songs and trying to figure out what they are on stage. As soon as we get a little respite from that, then we'll, I'm sure we'll start writing. We'll start thinking about it. What's on the John Dyer Baisley bucket list? I think it's a largely geographic thing now. For instance, we haven't spent a proportionate amount of time touring uh, South America or Asia, or the Far East, uh, in Europe. And I think that that's now become an auxiliary goal. You know, with everything that we've got going, henceforth from every show that, we, that we're going to play in New York, or Paris, or London, or Madrid, I really think we also need to try to find a, you know, a city that we haven't tapped into yet, and it's places we haven't played. That has been particularly important about, you know, on this tour that we're on now yet yeah, i mean obviously baltimore we played to death at this point but we had not up until this tour we never played in poughkeepsie we had ignored florida for a very long time there was a handful of shows where we'd only played said city once or not not at all and i think we need to apply that to the rest of the world we now have the i guess the the leverage or the you know we're we're a visible enough band now that we should be able to get into russia or we should be able to go back to japan and play a proper tour there maybe even china or india or you know tel aviv or well we're going to greece uh this year which was which was something we tried for a while to do and you know just kept running in the stumbling blocks there but it feels as though you know we've just existed long enough and we've done enough things now that we have the strength to push down some of those barriers and try to get you know try to break through to those those markets and those those places and, and and develop an audience in those areas and that's to me that's exciting because at this stage and probably at every stage of one of my primary interests is the adventure is seeing new places doing new things going places Absolutely. i haven't been making sure that our stage isn't the same freaking thing every night you know you don't want to like you don't want any of any bit of being a musician to ever feel like you know clocking into work and in order to avoid that in order to you know continually remain passionate and invigorated and invested in what we do you know going to new places is always just the easiest way to get that accomplished you know because no matter what when our group goes somewhere for the first time it's exciting if there's always a, you know we're always buzzing on it you started your own label at some point during the incarnations of this band you've mentioned there have been plenty was there one thing was it a bunch of things that made you realize that you had the capacity to be your own master and you know what made you think now is the time the circumstances that we were in when we were able to start that were prime for us to start our own label you know pete and i started initially now it's just me you know it was a step towards greater artistic freedom fewer people in the mix a greater level of control along with the extra and i mean extra workload that came along with that i know all and about I, it that's why yeah. i'm asking i took it on then because we our contract was up and we had the opportunity. And I thought about it long enough and decided that taking that opportunity was going to be something that I would regret if I didn't take it. So, you know, so here we are. Right on. From my perspective, I felt that running a label really took me away from the music. Having to deal with employees and merchandise and all that stuff, which should be a big part of any independent artist's 
you know, they should have some sort of control over it if they can get it. But I could have spent more time at the piano. I could have spent more time with a vocal coach. I could have done things that I feel like the business end of things really took me away from. So I admire the fact that you took that leap. And I'd say, like, this is the golden age of Baroness. Like, Feels hearing like it. you talk about the other people in the band as inspirational to you and how this new album, Golden Grey, is more of a collaborative effort than maybe any other album you've done before is, is kind of inspirational. It is exactly as collaborative as, as records have been before. That's the important thing. That's the thing that, I w that I'm always most fearful that we lose, you know, as members go and new people come in, is that eventually, like, I end up, like, in a like too much of a boss role. Clearly somebody needs to like lead the charge, right? There needs to be somebody, you know, there needs to be sort of a captain. But I think more than anything, you know, regarding the, you know, the past few things that you've said, the important thing that I think is important for listeners to hear is that the only way that I've been lucky and or that I've been fortunate enough to get into the position that I'm in now is because my team is strong and because the people that I work with are, are so good at what they do. That's the unsung hero of the whole story is that if I've got vision and I've got ambition and I've got history and I know, you know, I, I understand the complexities of this insofar as I'm able, then the most obvious thing to me was that all of it is too much work for me to do and that if I work with people who are willing to put a little extra into it and people who really care about what they do, then then we're all operating in the same way because we're all sacrificing just a slightly disproportionately to what, we, what we're receiving. You know, we're we're hoping it come, you know, that something kicks in and works well for us. But until then, we're willing to sacrifice more than we receive in the immediate sense of the word. And as my team has built up, you know, I've grown more and more fortunate in that I work with more and more people who are willing to put everything that they have into this creative enterprise and to the point where releasing a record and touring and running the label and creating the artwork and making these packages and, you know, getting all this stuff out there as possible simply because I have a badass team of extremely talented people who understand the way that things work and have some uh you know respect and admiration for the vision that i have so that they don't do th you know no nobody on my team does contradictory th things you know it's when everybody's working in the same direction albeit towards maybe slightly different ends who knows it doesn't doesn't really matter but we all have the same sort of thing in mind we all we all mean it in the same way i hire good people who are the best at what they do and who mean what they do and and whose passion is involved in everything that they do like I expect from myself. So I expect, I mean, everybody has the same You set the tone. Yeah, you set the tone. And, and you know, I think, I think in every sense of the word in this industry, as the artist, like your actions dictate the actions of those who you work with. And when I look around and I see the type of people that I'm fortunate enough to work with and, you know, to have these experiences every night where I can look down into our audience and like, I, see, I see pure joy. I see tears every night. I see the outwellings of emotion that, you know, at, on a level that I've never seen before. That to me is the verification that I've always, you know, that, that I need in order to think that, you know, what I'm doing has some value. You know, it has been an absolutely wild ride and not without, you know, its fair share of, you know, bumps and bruises, but it's still worth it. You know, still every, every day is worth, it's, it's worth waking up and doing, you know, going through, you know, potentially hellacious, circumstances to get to john it's guys like you that that <laughs> make me want to do this podcast and make me want to keep making music you're going to see another guy i don't know if i'm going to cry tonight but um, <laughs> i'll definitely be psyched and, and definitely be looking forward to seeing you perform tonight john yeah we're looking forward to it as well if you
Feel the passion of I'd Do Anything. Earlier in the podcast, we heard Throw Me an Anchor, both off the latest and greatest release from Baroness. It's called Gold and Gray. Find out more, get the goods at yourbaroness.com. Big thanks to John for the inspiration, Baroness's tour manager, Vicky Zangi, and the fine folks at Baltimore Soundstage for the hospitality. And much love to Monica at Speakeasy PR for making the interview happen. And a huge thanks to you, friends and fans, for tuning in once again. Follow it all on social at Bald Freak Music. Find out more about me and my other creative projects at baldfreak.com. Tell your friends and your Aunt Tilly to listen and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and at thevinyldistrict.com. The Vinyl District app can help you locate vinyl. Remember vinyl! All by navigating you towards the nearest record store in your part of the world. Download the app now on your Fartsmones app store. That's right, I said Fartsmones. 
And don't forget to support the podcast by supporting our sponsor, Bloom Farm CBD. Get your 20% off at checkout at bloomfarmcbd.com. Tinctures and vape pens meticulously tested for quality and safety. If you're like me, you don't want to mess around with what you put in your body. And Bloom Farm's product is organically grown in the Sierra foothills of California. It's certified, you know. Somewhere there's an actual certificate from the USDA that says that Bloom Farm's product is legit, if not the bomb. If you're interested in post-exercise recovery, evening relaxation, who doesn't like to relax in the evening? And you got to give Bloom Farm CBD a try. For every purchase you make with that 20% off discount, Bloom Farms is going to feed the hungry. So technically, via proxy, you, my friend, are feeding the hungry. Sounds like a win-win to me. BloomFarmsCBD.com. Enter promo code BALDFREAK at checkout. Okay? Okay. Okay! <laughs>